Hey everybody, welcome to the Mary and Tom Show. I'm Tom. I'm Mary. This is our show. Guys, it's autumn. Yay, autumn. It is my favorite season. I like autumn much better than summer. Summer is very oppressive and it's way too warm. And we're in Michigan, so winter is way too cold and snowy. Autumn is just right. It's the temperature I want it to be. It's the humidity I want it to be. Unfortunately, via Michigan, autumn lasts about six days. And we're like on day two, so I'm a little worried about that. But I'm going to enjoy the next four days a lot. It's uh, good weather for us to go walking in. It's good weather to cook in. You know, when it looked like summer was ending and would have temperature where we could tolerate being in the house and whatnot, uh, we got stuff so we could start cooking again. We couldn't really do a whole lot of cooking in the summer because the kitchen heats up too much and we don't have air conditioning and it's just not pleasant. So we made plans. Like, we're going to cook all the things. Let's go to the grocery store and get all the things so we can cook all the things. And then, like, the next day, it was, like, 90 degree sweltering weather again. 900% humidity. I'm pretty sure that's scientifically accurate. 900%? Probably. Yeah, it felt like it. felt felt like thousand percent yeah well we had a week of 90 plus degree weather so that was a little miserable we were gonna make we started to make a pickle soup which is actually surprisingly delicious uh when made properly uh and we started work on it and then it got too hot and we're like we're not gonna eat this anytime in the next few days so we put what we started in the fridge was just potatoes and carrots and broth. It was just the stock and the yeah, veggies, yeah. Without the pickles it. in it yet. Yep, didn't have any of that in it. Or the sour cream or the flour or any of that. Yeah. So, and we had that in the fridge for a few days, and then today, finished making the pickle soup now that it's weather when we can actually be in the kitchen and we can actually eat it. And it does not taste the same. And I don't know if it's because we had that, like, four or five days of it sitting in the fridge waiting for us to finish it. It might be. I don't know. And I think another thing is that my taste in pickles have changed. Because I used to be all about dill pickles. And then we got bread and butter pickles once. And I, I have converted, like, fully <laughs> to bread and butter pickles. So the soup with the dill pickles, I mean, it's like... That may be the last time we make it. It might be. Yeah. yeah I, you never tried bread and butter pickles. I just thought I'd pick them up because I used to eat bread and butter pickles. As well as dill pickles. And then Tom tasted one. I was like, yeah, that's it. This, no more dill. This is way better. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he, he'd never had them before. You know, it's kind of like the first time I had Parmesan. Like real Parmigiano-Reggiano. You were responsible for that. Because previously, the only Parmesan I had known came in a blue or green cylinder and was powder and was not actual cheese and not actual Parmesan. does not taste anything like real Parmesan. And I never liked that stuff. I've never gone back to it. I only use the real thing. Of course, Tom now only uses the real thing. In fact, yeah. he doesn't want to touch anything but real Parmigiano Reggiano. Though sometimes when when we're things are a little tight, we've gotten like equivalents. There are a couple that we occasionally get. Yeah. And I don't think you like Pecorino Romano. It's okay. I enjoy it, but I don't enjoy or is it, it as Romano, much as Romano Pecorino. I forget. I'm not it's sure. Romano anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. It can be nice, but I definitely prefer the flavor of, of real, especially aged Parmesan. Well, I love Parmesan, but I really like Romano, too, but we don't yeah. get to eat it because you don't like it. Okay, well, we can get Romano next time. We can have Romano. It's, it's allowed. 
<laughs> it should be. Yeah. yeah. 14 years of not having any. Has not been for, no. We we've had it. So don't say it has been fourteen years. We maybe had it sparingly, but we've had it. Um, I think we got Asagio more often, which isn't as good of a substitute. No, and it's uh, it doesn't uh, grate as well. No, it doesn't. The it's only, not as dry. The only cheese that's like verboten uh, in this house would be um, single slice American cheese. Yeah, most craft. That's not real slices. Cheese. Yeah. Probably all the craft slices, or any other kind of. It doesn't have to be just craft. I'm not picking on craft. Like I feel sorry for people where craft single American cheese is is their what they think cheese is. Yeah, that's like really sad. I would say another type of cheese I don't really want in the house is stinky cheese, like Limburger. I can't stand the smell. It really, really bothers the heck out of me. We were in Frankenmuth a few weeks ago uh, on a little day trip. And they have a cheese shop there, and they have samples of cheese there. And I thought, well, I'm going to try Limburger, because I've never had it before, and I'm curious about it. I'm not curious enough where I want to pay money for it. It's kind of like saffron. Like, I'm curious about saffron, but not so much where I'm going to pay, you know, 10 bucks for a pinch of it. And I thought, well, I can sample. Don't let me sample the saffron. But uh, the cheese house, I can sample the Limburger, right? And... They didn't have Limburger. They had a similar cheese. And it was the worst thing I've ever had in my mouth. Yeah. I wanted to vomit. I, yeah. And the taste wouldn't go away. The taste just, like, persisted, like, throughout the day. It, it was awful. So I have no desire to actually try real Limburger because this milder version of it, oh, man, not for me. I'm not really a super adventurous eater. Like, I like trying new things. I was raised in a household where, you know, macaroni and cheese was, was a box of Kraft or a box of Velveeta shells and cheese. It wasn't anything real, you know, gourmet as it were. Gourmet for us was like scalloped potatoes and Spam, which Mary's not a... I hate Tom loves it. I don't love it. I just, I'm used to it. I grew up with it. It was something special when I was a kid. So even though I know it's not really very good... Is still something I associate positively. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I understand that. But you know. It's Spam. I've never tasted Spam except in that horrible ugh, casserole. Probably the casserole would be okay without the Spam. That's not the worst Spam thing I've had, though. Because I once had Spam cheesecake. And I, th- I think up until I had that piece of not Limburger, that was the worst thing I had ever tasted. Mm, that sounds awful. That was before me. That was before you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank I, God. I, 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 well, once you came into my life, you, you, you showed me that, like, there is food that is good, that tastes good. Like, I never had Brussels sprouts before, before I met you. And I like Brussels sprouts. I love them. But I never would have got any exposure to it. I never got any exposure to green beans that weren't in a can or carrots that weren't in a can. And, like... I, I didn't realize all the different things you could do with vegetables, all the different things you could do with fruit and with food. And so I'm really glad that you came into my life for a number of reasons. But one is that I'm eating food that that is delicious. So before you think this is a culinary podcast, we probably should talk about games, I guess. Okay. 
We've actually announced several titles recently, both designs that I'm doing and designs that other designers are doing. In fact, we have a crazy number of not me designs in development. I was looking, counting them up, and we have like 14 different games that are in various stages of development with various designers who, who aren't me. And that, that is a lot. That is, that is a huge number. Now, those will be coming out mostly over the course of this next year. That's a lot of work, but at the same time, we're doing it full-time, so we have more time to devote to other people's games. It's just hard to juggle everything all at once sometimes. Sometimes, especially if the game is, is very simple, all the pieces are pretty much there, and you're just making sure they're all there. And you don't need to do much to touch it. When we got the game Bits Creek, for example, which is coming out later this month, that game was pretty much perfect when we got it. We had something to address as far as a starting player advantage uh, that had to do with the nearly 2 million board setups and how that was uh, arranged, and we worked with Scott on that. But at that point, it really was just making sure everything worked the way it seemed like it worked, and it did. So there wasn't a whole lot that we needed to do there. Uh, whereas simultaneously I'm working on a game with a first-time designer and we're working on ways to take his system, which is very smart and very compelling, but to streamline it, there aren't any barriers between the player and his, his or her enjoyment of the game. That was a problem you had with a number of your games. Getting good at it for my games is probably what helps me look at other people's games in that same vein. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you're really good at that. Thank you. But it was also more about trying to find that focal point for the game, the thing it concentrates on, and everything come out of that and support that. That's really the key, I think, to, to strong game design. I'm not going to say I'm the world's greatest designer. I'm pretty competent at it, though. And that's because I'm able to identify, okay, I have this thing the game is about. Let's make sure the game is actually about it and not have a bunch of stuff surrounding it, uh, obscuring it. That's really my strength, I guess, as a developer. And if I look at a game and it, it doesn't have that problem, and the game works, it does what, what the designer wants it to do, because in the end, it is the designer's game, and our job is to support that designer mm-hmm. and to deliver on that game, but not to make it, you know, into my game. There are some developers who will kind of overreach and try and make a game very similar to what they want it to be. We talked to a designer about a game he was doing with a certain game company. And it was a chip pull game, and the developer didn't like chip pull games and wanted to make it not a chip pull game. And that kind of misunderstands the whole game and that designer's whole philosophy behind that game. You know, I might not be the biggest fan of chip pull games. I like them just fine. I, I made them, I enjoy them. Not everything has to be exactly to my taste in order for us to publish it or for me to develop a game. You know, Horse and Musket has been a very successful game for us and it's a very enjoyable game, but I generally play the base game. I'm not really a big fan of optional rules. I don't really like facing rules in my games. I'm not a facing person, but other people do enjoy that. You have a cute face, though. (laughs) I'm glad you think so. Other people do enjoy that kind of stuff in their games, so I'm fine having it in the game. I'm not going to say, Sean, take out this rule because I don't like it. You know, it's he has a reason for it to be there, it's part of his vision and his design, you know. In in to take a, a film analogy, he is the director. We are like the producers, and we're trying to let the director tell their story 
the way they want to tell it. Absolutely. And help them tell that story to the best of their ability. One of the good things about us getting ahead of the curve like we are, because you're working on the rule book for Charlemagne, you're finishing that up and the layout of the pack for that game, and that game's almost ready, and that'll be our game for November, and then in December we'll have Horse and Musket Volume 2, which I'm doing work finishing up on before turning it over to you. Well, at that point we have these next few months to get stuff ready for early next year, for the middle of next year, and we're able, to, between the two of us, to juggle all these different balls we have in the air. We've got a lot of stuff to work on. So, yeah, we're going to need that lead time. Anyway, that is probably enough for today. Yeah, enough chit-chat. Enough chit-chat. Back to, back to work. <laughs>